today we are continuing in a sermon series that's been, been pretty enjoyable so far. And uh, this one might, might be enjoyable as well. But it is, it is reach. And so before we jump into this, I want us to just pray together over the word this morning that it would have the impact that it needs to have in all of our hearts and minds this morning. So if you would, just bow your heads with me for a minute. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. God, we just thank you for that word this morning, Lord, that invitation to lay our burdens down. And I pray, Lord, in this moment that would be real for every person, Lord God, that gets to hear your word this morning, that we could just come and lay every burden down, every burden of our, our family, our future, God. And, and whatever it may be, Lord, we just lay that at your feet and we entrust our lives to you this morning, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would anoint your word. You would bring life to it, Father, and you would speak to our hearts, and you would transform us into the image of Jesus himself. And we thank you for it. We give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this series, we've been covering uh, four different roles of the church. This sermon series we called We the Church. And as we've worked through it, we remember we talked about how we worship up how we conquer Satan down, how we're reaching out and ultimately we're coming back and we're edifying within. But the church was born in the power of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And if you remember, you had a bunch of guys hiding in an upper room, it says, for fear of the Jews because they were afraid they were going to be crucified like Jesus. But they waited 10 days. They worshiped God together for 10 days. They prayed together in unity for 10 days. And on that 10th day, the Holy Spirit came and He empowered them and they broke out. They'd st they were still worshiping God, but it began to flow out of the doors because when the Spirit of God God moves he doesn't just give us good church services he moves us outside of the walls of the church to reach the world and when the Holy Spirit came they busted out of the doors and Peter a man that was afraid and denied Jesus three times before now proclaims the gospel to the same people that crucified Jesus and 3,000 people were saved on that day and the scripture talks about how those 3,000 people they got involved in the church they got involved in the Apostles teaching they were breaking bread and moving from house to house with one another and fellowshipping with one another and, and, and learning about Jesus. And in Acts 2.47, I've read this the past three weeks, but I really like it. It says specifically, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You realize that the Lord right now is adding people to the church. And I'm not even just talking about our church because he is adding to this specific local body, but he's adding to the church throughout the world. And he's adding to the church those people who are being saved. And, I, and I've said this a few times, but I want you to understand that not only when we believed in Jesus and we were forgiven and washed from our sin, not only were we saved, but we are currently being saved by the power of God. The gospel is currently saving us and we will be saved when Jesus returns again. This salvation is not just something that has happened to us, but it's something that is currently happening to us. And so we are being being saved and the place we are being saved is the church see those who are being saved you can know they're being saved why because Jesus is adding them to the church and so that's that's a big important thing because a lot of people especially in our day are very critical of the church and they think that the church is to be criticized and I agree with you the church is broken it's far from perfect and just like I said last week if you uh, find yourself a perfect church please do not go because you will mess it up and so we have to understand that because the church is not perfect, but the church is the vessel through which God has chosen to reveal his kingdom here on earth. 
That's his design. It was his plan. So the church is important to God. It is the bride of Christ. And so when we are refusing to be added to the church, we are hindering the process of our own salvation. God wants to bring us in unity among one another and add us to the church. And the visibility of salvation is this. You can look at who God has transformed their life and you can look at who God has planted in the church. You don't have to go to church here, but if you are a follower of Jesus, you need to be uniquely connected to a body of believers that worships together, that sees victory over the devil, that reaches the world, and that builds up one another in strength and in faith. Amen. You don't just sit at the house all by yourself and say, well, me and Jesus got our own thing going we're going to sit at the house this morning no you are connected with a body of believers amen all right so now that we covered that we talked about it right our first goal is primarily to worship and that means that we bring something to God we bring a sacrifice to God we bring him something that costs us something right I, I, I was I was thinking the other day you know because sometimes I think about how I sometimes I often fail as a husband anybody amen me in here and, and one of the ways that I fail is I think that Andrea should like the same things that I like, right? You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and I find that we, we honestly sometimes we like different things. That woman loves pictures. I hate pictures. Don't be taking a picture of me, right? I mean, unless I'm looking really good and then go ahead, you know, and post it to Facebook or whatever you need to do. <laughs> I don't know, uh, but, 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 but what I've noticed and what I felt like the Spirit said to me is, Clay, you know what, man, just because you don't like pictures, you need to give her what she wants because you know what, Clay, there's some things that you don't like, but you know that I want it, so you give it to me anyway. And what I need you to understand about God is worship is something that we're in a relationship with God, and you may not like to do it, but if I know God wants it, I'm going to give it to him anyway. My, I may not like what my wife likes, but if I love her, I'm going to give it, give it to her and do it for her anyway. Amen. Because it's a relationship and that's what worship is truly all about. From that place, when we worship God, we are filled with the Spirit of God and we move out into the world in order to conquer Satan. And we're not to live defeated lives. We are, as I said last week, we are the billboard of Satan's defeat. There are people in here that have been set free from the power of darkness, that have been set free from sin, that are living new lives, transformed lives. They're not who they used to be. They're not perfect, but they're not the same person that they were either. Because because we're putting together a string of victories over the devil. And from that place, we move out to reach the world and we seek to encourage one another within. We are the church and that is what we do. See, the church is not of the world, but the church is in this world, placed here by God. And we in this community in Clay County in southeastern Kentucky, specifically to reach the world. And I want to say this, I believe this, the local church is the hope of the world. I want you to imagine a moment. A world and a nation, an America in which all of a sudden one day the church was completely removed. Now there are people that really would love that. People are like, man, we need to remove the church. We need to get it out of the way because it's hindering our lives. There have been people throughout history, uh, government leaders even, that, that recognized that somehow they thought religion was hindering the advancement of humanity. And when they removed more of it, ultimately their society failed. It broke down. It crumbled. And they failed as leaders because ultimately, at its core, we were all designed to worship God. And the church is the only thing still holding this thing together by a thread, I'm telling you. We would go into a spiral of out-of-control darkness in a moment of time were it not for the church in the world producing hope. Because without Jesus, without God, there is no hope for our world. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul tells Timothy this. He says, if I'm delayed... 
you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. That's what he calls the church. He says, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. Now, he says we are God's household, and he's the father, isn't he? And in a good functioning home, guess what? The father makes sure that kids are behaving correctly, doesn't he? And he's saying, you, you're going to find out who, how you ought to behave while I'm gone because we are God's household. We represent what godly family looks like to the world so that they can see it. And right now we live in a world that is attacking the home, attacking what godly family looks like, and we are to demonstrate what it really looks like. Secondly, he says we are the church or the gathering of the living God. That means that when we gather together, we got this unique thing about us. Guess what? When we gather together, God himself manifests. And I want you to understand that when we gather together, when we give God the glory due his name, I got to be honest with you, I'm a little bit tired this morning. And I sat up here and I thought, you know what, I'm tired, let's get through this. And I thought, no, I got to give you the glory that is due your name. But when we push back our inconveniences and give God the glory that is due unto his name, he returns to us his manifested glory in our midst. And this is why when we meet together, there are people who don't know Jesus. They come in. I've heard people testify about it in this very place. When I came in, it was the first place I ever felt God. Why? It wasn't because our church is good. It wasn't because City of Hope is good. It wasn't because we painted our building black. It was because there were some believers in here that came in, gave God the glory that was due unto his name, and he manifested himself in our midst. We are called to be that type of people. We are the church of a living God. He's not a dead God. He's not simply a doctrine. He's He's not a dead book that we're trying to teach people. He reveals himself as a real and a living God. And then he says the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Now this is important. We are the pillar and the foundation of truth. That's crazy because we live in a world now that if you send your kids to college, the primary ethic is postmodernism, which means everybody can live their own truth. That's what the world is teaching right now. Now he's saying, no, it's the exact opposite. There is one truth. His name is Jesus Christ. And you, the church, are the pillar and the foundation of that truth. If you are compromised and you cease to speak this truth and live this truth in a world of darkness, there is no longer any foundation for truth and all of society crumbles and comes up under the judgment and condemnation of God. Now that's an important thing, isn't it? That means that we have a responsibility here in our community, in our families, we're in our workplaces to be the pillar and the foundation of truth to promote and protect the gospel because there are demonic principalities running wild and the one thing that they are doing in our world today is trying to undermine the truth of God's word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore we have to realize that no, we are the foundation. I, I want you to understand something folks, the world is searching for everything right now. The world is searching for fulfillment in, 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 in drugs. They're searching for, for fulfillment in sex and all kinds of different uh, orientations and ideas and philosophies and, 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 and all of these different things. We're looking for more money, more material possessions. And anybody who seeks those things finds fame. Guess what? They're not finding the fulfillment that they are looking for, but they are enslaved to their sins, so they're wanting to cast off every restriction that the Bible would say needs to be placed upon your life 
And meanwhile, they're falling headlong. And I'm telling you, Jesus is still the only thing that is ever going to give anybody fulfillment that they are looking for. He is the only one that's going to fill that hole in the human heart. And that is why when Paul set out and he was going to fulfill the Great Commission, what did he do? He set out specifically to plant churches. He knew if I can go into a local place where nobody's heard the name of Jesus, I can get a few people saved and find somebody who's able to pastor those, those people and lead those people, then I can plant that church there and I can leave and they can grow right where they're planted and impact the community around him. And he said, there will be multiplication through this. I can promise you this. God never started a church that he intended to stay at the same number for all of its life, never seeing anybody saved, never seeing anybody baptized, never seeing seeing anybody growing, never seeing the people go outside the four walls and win somebody to Jesus. No, he plants every church with the idea that this thing is going to grow, it's going to expand its reach, it will even plant other churches and it will reach the world for my name. When he plants a church, this is what he's thinking. He's not saying, hey, I want y'all to get your style, what you like to do and be us for and no more. No, he's saying, I want you to reach the entire world with this thing, with this community. But see, reach literally means that you are extending your arm out to grasp something, right? I was outside playing today, and Naomi, man, she is, she's, uh, she's very strong and she's really fast <laughs> for a 19-month-old. And, and so we were outside playing, and, you know, and we got a driveway that sort of runs downhill, and she just, you know how kids run. <laughs> she just took off running in a dead sprint down that hill, and I realized she's got moment. There's no way she's going to be able to stop herself. She's traveling at about 14 miles per hour right now. <laughs> and so I take off in a dead sprint with flip-flops on, and right, she, she's, she, her momentum is getting so fast that I notice she's done for, and she started to go forward. And I reached out at the last second and grabbed her just before she face-planted into the blacktop. And what I'm telling you right now is that our world is running at this kind of momentum. <laughs> and they are about to fall, and they're going to face-plant into something far worse than blacktop. And the world, the, the world is moving in that direction, and we are called to reach out with the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and grab them if we can. We cannot simply make this only about us worshiping inside these four walls or only us even encouraging one another. The church exists as the church because it is called to reach the world. We have to have something in us that has a heart that says we got to move out and catch people before they bust their noggins on the blacktop. And there's something, I pray about this because sometimes I find that my heart isn't quite there. Sometimes I'm so caught up in what's going on in my own life that I forget to think about the people that are moving in that direction. And so, who are you following? Who's following you? And if they're following you, where are you taking them to? And here's my first question for you. Does, does my life push people away from God? Is it neutral or does it compel people to come to God? When you're just in your everyday life, when you're living every day, are you pushing people away from God? Or are you just totally neutral? You don't impact them for good or for worse or anything like that. Which it, Let me tell you something. If you're in neutral, everybody in neutral in this world is slowly sliding away. I can tell you that right now. If you're neutral, it's a downhill neutral, y'all. If you're not moving forward, you're backing up. And so... Does it compel people to come to God? In Matthew 28, here's what it said. Jesus gave the Great Commission. We all are familiar with this scripture. It says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, Look, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. We, we, we talked about that last week because he's got all authority. That means that Satan has no authority. 
The church functions now in this authority. And he says the gates of hell will not prevail against us if we move. So you can move forward into the greatest areas of darkness. And he says nothing shall by any means hurt you because I've got all authority. And then he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am always with you, even to the end of the age. Amen. All authority. Go, therefore. Now, when, when, when I first read this, I remember when I first got saved. Like, I, when, when you read that, I don't know how you read that or how you interpret that. But like when I first got saved, I think, well, he's saying I got to go. That means I got to get up and I got to run somewhere, right? I got to go. Like we got to get a plane ticket to Asia. We got to do something. We got to move. You ever, you ever, you ever get that sense? And, I, and then, you, you know, you kind of slip back into just normalcy and you say, well, I don't know if that's what, exactly what that means. And, 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 and I, I will say it means something different. But, but I've been testing this out since I became a Christian. Like I was crazy in the beginning. You know, I mean, getting married to Andrea helped me a lot because it kind of toned me down. Uh, but, but we, uh, Jonathan Runyon knows, we used to meet Friday nights and we'd pray and so we'd say, Lord, where we need to go tonight? And, and we'd go out to a place. I remember one night we drove up here in Walmart parking lot and everybody else sort of sat in the car. I got out and I got in, there was a crowd of kids that circled up in the parking lot and I'm sitting there with my heart pounding. I walk in the middle of them and I start to preach the gospel. I don't know how effective it was. <laughs> I think most of them were pretty freaked out. I've not seen any of them since. Um, but I start preaching the gospel and you know depending on like what kind of background or church background you have is it kind of determines how you talk to people about Jesus because you know you can get it you can get, but depending on what kind of background you get out on the street and you just be like every one of you are living apart from God and you're gonna straight to hell and die in the devil's hell you know and like and like there's a certain and look and I'm not mocking that I'm not even saying there's not a place for that but I'm saying that when I first started, I had a very doom and gloom kind of attitude behind it. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm saying, and, and I stepped back to evaluate how effective is this? I remember when I, uh, I first, right before I first got saved, like I was in the period of like get, getting saved, like coming to Jesus. And I was, uh, you know, I was a partier at EKU, uh, like some folks are that go there in Richmond. About 19 years old, and, and I remember, you know, being hung over, going over to one of the buildings, and then walking out down. I don't even remember what it is now. It's down there by the Powell building, and they got this big thing in the middle. And I walked out, and they had this guy out there, looked like an Old Testament prophet, son, old beard, big black robe thing, sitting out in the middle saying all the things that God hates and that basically everything is going to hell. And, and so, and, and I remember seeing that and then all these wicked college students like me, my, myself, just hollering at this guy, railing on it. And I'm thinking, this guy is scary. These people are scary. We're in the middle of darkness. This is awful. And, it, and, and there was no hope. And I didn't hear a message of hope. I, I heard that I was a sinner. I heard that I was going to hell. And that did convict me a little bit, but what's my other option? Is there, is there a grace involved? Is there somebody named Jesus that the Father loved me enough to send to give me a way out? Is there love involved in this? Is there something beyond just the fact that I'm going to now? Don't get me wrong. The world needs to understand sin. They need to be convicted of sin. But they need to know that God so loved the world that he sent him, his own son to die for us while we were yet sinners. And so I commend that man for sitting out there and preaching that way. But my point is this. If I'm evangelizing, I need to figure out what's effective and what's not. Amen. 
Now, and don't use that as an excuse because we've done it. Like, we've done it where even in this church, before COVID, we used to go down here on the streets. We we give people hot dogs. We give them coats. And when they gathered around, you know what we'd do? Somebody would share a testimony and say, this is what Jesus did in my life. He can do it for you, too. And we were and we loved on them and we cared for them. And, and we just we, we tried to reach out to them as much as possible. But evangelism is tough, isn't it? I mean, how, how, if I ask any person in here this morning, like, how many of y'all you just love going out and striking up conversation in the grocery store with somebody about Jesus that you don't know? Anybody in here love that? Y'all don't love it. And if you do, talk to me after service because <laughs> we got some ministry for you. I mean, like, and, and here's the thing, like, as a pastor, too, because there's, like, this added pressure on me. Anytime I go to Walmart, I got to, like, amp myself up a little bit because I'm like, if I see somebody, and I will, that I've not seen in a long time, I mean, what am I going to do? I've got to preach the entirety of the gospel to them, right? <laughs> I mean, how can I be a pastor worth my salt if I ain't just going to evangelize all of Walmart up here while I'm up here buying some towels? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And so you, you, you feel that pressure, and, and, and here's the thing, like, and th th that's one of the things, because when we're preaching, I've always heard evangelistic type messages, is like, we need to go, we need to get out and reach people, and I don't know that it actually empowers anybody to go out and reach the lost. I think people just feel le leaving defeated, and thinking, man, how am I going to do that? <laughs> and, and so I'm right there with you. Like I said, I've tried some crazy things. I used to pray, and the Lord put people on my heart. I'd go knock on their door. And I'd share Jesus with me and they, with them, and they would look at me like I was a stomp idiot. And I don't know if it was a fact. I know sometimes the Holy Spirit would really compel me to go and speak to my friends and my family and just have that real awkward moment, but then it did bear fruit in the long run. So I'm telling you that you've got to learn to follow the Holy Spirit. You've got to learn to love people radically and go out of your way and take those steps and opportunities. I'm not saying you've got to go up here in a huddle of young people at Walmart and preach the gospel as hard as you can. That may not be the best option. If the Lord leads you to do it, do it. You know what I'm saying? But try to pray about effective ways. God, how can I reach people effectively? Because when we move out in obedience, I want to give you this, this statement. We go, we share Jesus in one way or the other. We speak truth, we love practically, we pray fervently, and we trust the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do through our obedience. I can't get people saved anyway, but what I can do is as, is as I'm going out, as I'm doing what God has called me to do. See, here's the thing. In the Greek, when we read that, it says, go therefore. And we think, get a plane ticket to Asia. Go down on the street corner. But if you read the verb in the Greek, it's actually a passive verb that says, as you go. And so the point is, as you go, uh, on your day, when you go to work in the morning, when you go and you exercise, when you go to church, on your way to the grocery store, as you go, God is going to give you divine appointments to disciple people, to sow the seed of God's word into somebody's heart. You don't necessarily have to go to Africa today. You don't necessarily have to hit the street corner. But if you look at every single one of us, we are going to scatter throughout the, the all over the place just this week. And as we go, if we are sensitive to what God's spirit is doing, we will reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and we can do it in a variety of different ways but there's two ways to reach and Jesus talks about it and, and it's salt and light here's what he says in Matthew 5 13 he says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its flavor how shall it be seasoned it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot 
by men. Now, I read this in the message translation. I want to read it to you just so it kind of hits a little bit harder. But it says, let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Saltiness is godliness. He's saying that, now listen, I want you to understand, godliness is not legalism. We get very afraid of like, well, that's legalistic. Well, that's legalistic. No, no, living a godly lifestyle is just that. It's godliness. Holiness is a good thing, and don't let anybody ever tell you differently. Being like God is the goal of this Christian walk. Defeating sin in our lives is why the Holy Spirit is given to us. And so he says, if you lose your saltiness, if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You have to be manifesting as in a relationship with God, as a worshiper of God, love and joy. And if you've got love, joy, and peace in your heart, when the world watches you under pressure, they say, wow, something's going on different with this person. Now, don't get me wrong. They also need to see that we're real human beings because we ain't flawless all the time. But we do know that when we're broken down and hurting, we turn to Jesus and draw for strength and people see that and it is attractive and he says we are the salt of the earth and then he says in verse 14 he said here's another way to put it you're here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world God is not a secret to be kept we're going public with this as public as a city on a hill if I make you light bearers you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket do you I'm putting you on a light stand, and now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Amen. That's good, isn't it? So he says, God is not a secret to be kept. I don't know how many people I've talked talk to, especially, that I, I used to be Catholic and I had people that I would talk to that were Catholic, and I'd be like, you know, we, 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 how come you don't ever talk about your faith? And, and people would say, people would say to me, well, you know, that's between, that's between me and Jesus, and I don't want to talk about it with anybody else. No, 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 no. The Scripture actually teaches that if you are a follower of Jesus and the Spirit of God is within you, you exist to be a witness of this reality that Jesus came and brought you up out of that pit, set you free from the power of sin, brought you out of darkness and into life. If the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are a witness to the reality of Jesus Christ in this world. And so let that be an indicator of whether or not you're truly following Jesus and allowing him to do his work in your life. Because if you are, you are a witness to someone about what he is currently doing right now. You may not be perfect and have it all together, but the Holy Spirit makes you a witness. And he says he's not a secret to be kept, but he says keep open house and be generous with your lives. That means that, look, and this is why people say, people say to me all the time, Clay, man, you're just so open about your testimony and, and things that have been done in your life. Well, see, when I'm open... People see me vulnerable and they can connect their own lives with my struggle and they can see that, you know what, he ain't the best dude ever, but Jesus has done something in that guy's life. Some people will say, some people will say, I've actually heard several people say to me, you know, I invited so-and-so to church, but they said they won't come to church there because they used to know you. And I'm thinking, well, they need to come and get to know me now. <laughs> because that would testify of Jesus' goodness and the way that he transforms lives. I know you used to know me. I used to know you. Jesus changes us all. 
And that is what we are here to share. We're to keep open house and be generous and be real. God is sending us out as real people into the world to say, look, I ain't got it all together, but I'm telling you something right now. I found a peace in Jesus. I had no purpose, no meaning in life, and Jesus gave it to me. I had addictions that I could not break, and the power of God came into my life and set me free from that. And I've got a joy that none of these other things that I tried could ever bring in my life. And when you can testify about that to people, it opens their heart. They start to think, maybe this is something that I need. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, 2,000 years ago, they would get a lot of their salt, especially in Jesus' day, from the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea, the salinity, it's, it's, so full, it's 10 times more salty than a re, just the ocean regularly. It's so salty that it's like a, it's like a sensory deprivation tank, right? You're going to float if you sit in it. And it's got so much salt in it that when they would take salt out of the Dead Sea, it would also have all of these minerals and they would have to sift it to make sure the salt was separated from the minerals. And what Jesus is saying is, if you compromise and allow all of these other minerals of the culture around you to contaminate your saltiness and your godliness, he says you're going to lose your flavor as the true salt and you will be good for nothing except to cast out. What maintains the fact that you are salt is that you are separated from all the other minerals. Amen. That you've not compromised. And here's the thing. If we are going to be effective. Now, I, I, know, I know that this is actually uh, culturally not that, not that uh, I guess, influential. People don't like it that much. But there's a big thing in the church today that it's like, if we can get as close to the world as we possibly can, maybe we will reach more of the world. And I'm telling you right now, no. No, Scripture, the New Testament calls us to radical holiness and purity. I get the fact that not all of us are there yet and thank God for His grace and mercy when we struggle. But we will be most effective at reaching this world the more separated from this world that we are. And I'm not talking about two degrees of separation. I'm not saying that we just hide in a bunker and we never get around people. But I'm saying we get around people. But when we get around people, we don't have the same morals and values. And we are not educated by what our TV is telling us. We're allowing the Word of God to tell us how we live, what we believe, what we think, and what we teach in our world. Amen. So when we get into these conversations with people, we maintain our saltiness because, listen to this, we cannot change the world if we are being changed by the world. And right now the world is teaching you that you should tolerate everything. Jesus warned a church in the book of Revelation, and he said, you guys are basically tolerating too much. Too much tolerance. And I'm not, this does not mean that we're angry. Again, it doesn't mean that we're mean. It doesn't mean that we be rude to people. But it does mean that we do not allow sinful thinking and sinful behavior to just invade our lives because the rest of the world is doing it. And we don't want to offend or upset them. No, we love all of those people regardless of the situation that they are in. But for us, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to love them no matter what they do. But we will not allow what they're doing to influence how we live our lives. Amen. And this is how we maintain our saltiness and don't get up into a mixing. But see, I do think that if we are evangelizing, I don't think it's a turn or burn expedition necessarily. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Because I don't know that more hollering and more anger is what produces the righteousness of God. 
I think that grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy that Jesus showed to me is the same grace and mercy that we need to show to those who are in bondage, who are living lives differently than we live. We're not here to call them out and be angry and hateful at them or reject them or neglect them or push them out and say you're not welcome or any of that. No, we are here to share this good news of Jesus, to call them to repentance the same way that he called us to repentance and to show them that love and give them good news. This gospel, believe it or not, is not bad news. It is good news. Because every single one of us, we were in sin, we were under condemnation, and we were destined for hell. But God loved us so much once again that he sent Jesus to die for us so that if we repent and turn from sin, we can be saved and reconciled to the Father and have new life. And guess what? Sometimes it's a process, but we will love you enough to let you go on the journey with us. If you're struggling, we don't care if you're struggling right now or if you continue to struggle. If you will walk with us and walk with Jesus in sincerity, we will love you, we will help you we will serve you in any way that we can to make it easier for you but that does not mean that we're not going to speak the truth amen so number one salt flavors i don't know if you realize this or not but uh, if you got an egg it's a lot better with a little salt sprinkled on it amen it flavors stuff and basically he's saying when you go out into the world you are the flavoring that makes people see the true goodness of god the world is offering a million different things, but the world right now is not offering peace, y'all. It's not offering true rest. It's not offering a place to truly lay your burdens down. It doesn't have an answer for shame. It doesn't have an answer for broken families. It doesn't have an answer for wounded hearts. It doesn't have an answer for unforgiveness. It doesn't have an answer for salvation. It does not have an answer for what happens to you when you die. But we have this salt this flavor that says, you know what, there's some goodness here in this world because God designed it. But he designed it a certain way. And we're lost and we're broken. We all need healing. We all need salvation. And we sprinkle that salt of the gospel to say, you can have eternal life. You can know Jesus Christ. It flavors. If I'm going to cook a steak, I'm going to put a little salt, a little pepper, a little garlic powder. Some of y'all are the garlic powder of the world. You know what I'm talking about? When I get around you, I feel Jesus. Amen. Number two, salt preserves. Back in those days, they didn't have freezers. They didn't have refrigerators. So they would rub salt into their foods to preserve them. And you need to understand that the church is a preservative. Because if the church were to be removed from society, you can see the rot coming in all around the edges. You know what I'm talking about. But the church is that preservative. We are that salt that gets rubbed into the world in order to preserve it, to keep it from rotting and decaying morally more and more and going deeper. So you see right now there are culture wars going on. Everybody is arguing and fighting constantly over morality. And again, we do not have to be mean or angry, but we do have to be bold and we do have to stand on the truth. Because we are the only preservative left in this world that is going to keep people pointing pointed towards righteousness, and we must be scattered throughout the world in order to do that. Now understand this, legislation alone is not salt. So we can, as a church, we can be very happy, we can celebrate when laws are passed that actually honor God's morality and God's word, can't we? 
We should. We should say, thank God we have laws that are reflecting the morality of God. But here's the thing. Legislation itself is not salt. The gospel is the salt. You are the salt. Laws don't have God in them. Laws don't change people. The Holy Spirit changes people. So we're not to just scatter laws and want more laws and want, want more restrictions. We want more people filled with the Holy Spirit to share the truth of this gospel with people who do not yet know it. And so... Salt is not just laws. It's not just getting legislation changed. Salt is you going to people who do not believe, who do not agree with what you agree with, and sharing the love of Jesus with them. What good does it do if I just celebrate this law over here but never actually go to someone who disagrees with it and share the love of God with them? And so we got, this gets tough, doesn't it? Because we start to think about this. And, and, and difficult conversations are hard. I mean, I've had some super difficult conversations with people who totally disagreed with me. And sometimes by the time I got done with those conversations, I've had people legitimately say to me, well, you know, it seems to me like you're probably right, but I just don't want to believe it. I've had people say that. So we're going to have to have tough conversations. We're going to have to have those conversations in love. But in 2 Timothy chapter 2, here's what it says. It says, if you're going to reach people, it says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Amen. Notice this. But kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So he's saying, look, the world's crazy. We get it. Ain't no point in being tore up about it. People are enslaved by Satan. They are captured to do his will, and they are currently doing it. Amen. So we might as well still keep our joy. We might as well still keep our peace. The world's going to do what the world's going to do. But we are the servant of the Lord. And if this is what's going on, here's what we need to be. Number one, the Lord's servant is not quarrelsome. That means that we don't just take the bait on every argument that's currently going on. We're not. Now, debate can be good if you've got two healthy people that allow it to change them and mold them and shape them. Debate can be healthy, but if you just pick up every fight and go after every argument, you are not necessarily demonstrating the light of God. So we're not fighting, we're not looking for a fight, but two, we are kind to everyone. And kindness is an alternative to the harshness that we are currently seeing all around us. Because right now, folks, everybody in the world is harsh. Everybody's hating everybody. And it bleeds sometimes over into the church where the church becomes harsh. And when you are harsh, you put forth an image of God that is untrue. Because one thing that our God is not is harsh. He is very, he's holy, He is just, but he is not harsh. And so we have to learn to be kind to everyone, and kindness is undeserved compassion and generosity. Undeserved compassion and generosity. It says that the Lord's servant must be able to teach. Now, you may not be the best teacher in the world. You may not know the scriptures at all. I remember when I first got saved, I barely knew the Bible at all, but the Lord still moved me out to share what I knew. But what you need to do as, as, as believers in God, if you are interested in legitimately reaching people, like every now and then, I know you ain't going to like this, but you should probably take some notes. Amen. Nobody even laughed. <laughs> if there are topics that you know you need to have a conversation with somebody about, study what does the Bible say about these issues? 
Have a conversation. Find good Bible teachers that can show you this. I know some people have been taking clips of my sermons just about a minute long and taking those clips and sending them to people to allow it to be a conversation starter. That's winsome. That's wise. But study these things so that you know the scripture yourself. And you may not be the best teacher in the world, but you can work your way through what the Bible says when people have difficult questions. Next, it says that they are patiently enduring evil. You know that Jesus taught that in the last days, because lawlessness shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. Do not let your love grow cold. Evil is going to get stronger and stronger, but we are to patiently endure evil, and we are to be gracious and merciful to those who are evil. And fifthly, we are to correct opponents with gentleness. Now get this, we are to correct them. That's hard, isn't it? Right now the world is saying just you be you at church, don't say anything to anybody and never bring correction to anybody because that is offensive, that is unloving and that is hateful. And I'm telling you that if you can bring loving correction, not of your own opinion, but of God's word to people and you can do it with gentleness and humility and love, you will be reaching people. They may not always respond positively, but you have done what God has called you to do. There's this postmodern mentality of, no, well, you got to let everybody live their own truth. you got to let everybody do their own thing. No, we believe as the church of Jesus Christ that there is one truth. His name is Jesus. And God has revealed His truth to us through the Holy Scripture that we have written for us. Amen. But understand this, too, that salt is to be scattered. Andrea is a great cook, right? Excellent cook. She comes from a long line of great cooks. Long line. But whenever we first got married, we had a couple of meals. She ain't even going to like me saying this, but it's all right. Whenever we first got married, Cam knows about this, we had a couple of meals where she maybe seasoned it just a little bit too much. And we, caught, we gave her the nickname, the Queen of Too Much. And sometimes, instead of scattering salt, we the church can be the Queen of Too Much. And it's like, we invite a lost person to church, they're sitting in the back, we'll go up to them and grab them by the hand, drag them to the altar, speak in tongues over them, so somebody will say, come out, devil, in the name. You know, like, we can go a little bit too far. Y'all know what I'm talking about. You have to be wise in how you reach people. What is going to be most effective in opening this person's heart without freaking them plumb out? So that they can actually hear about the good news of Jesus and we can walk them into this place of conversion where they get to know him. Amen. So I ain't just dumping a whole salt shaker on the person. I'm scattering here. I'm planting seed. I'm working with them like in a relationship, in a friendship. And there are moments when if you pray, the Holy Spirit will move you to be bold and put a little bit more salt. You know what I'm talking about? Like put a whole coating on the thing because there are divine moments when you need to put a little bit extra. There's sometimes it calls for more salt. It's a little bit too bland. But it has to be scattered. And Jesus says, look, you are a city on a hill. Now, sometimes when we go, and that word go, some of us, going is not going to Africa. I've been to Africa. I've been to India. I've been to other places in the United States to preach the gospel. But sometimes going doesn't mean you need to get a plane ticket to Africa. Sometimes going needs you you just need to reach your husband right now. Sometimes going just means you need to protect your children. Sometimes going means you've got a friend that don't know Jesus that you can invite to church. Sometimes going just means you've got some people in your life just around you that, man, they need Jesus. And we think, and the devil convinces us, well, they, they'll hate church. They don't want to come. 
I don't know how good, I'm not a good evangelist, y'all. I'm a decent pastor. I'm a pretty good teacher. I ain't a great evangelist because everybody I invite to church never comes. Amen. I don't know how y'all are. Y'all are doing a lot better. Like, you guys are inviting people and they're coming. Praise God. We're working together in this thing. I invited somebody just yesterday. I, I don't expect them to be here. Oh, anyway. It's rough, isn't it? But we're still reaching people. We're still reaching people. We're still working. And Jesus says, you are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. And when I always used to read that, because, you know, Naomi, she was singing, it's a little light of mine, she'll do that. And she'll sing it. And I always think about, yeah, it's sweet. And I... And I, and I would think, I, was, I would always imagine this little candle, don't let Satan blow it out. And I was thinking we're just carrying around this little candle, you know, that could, just one little whiff and it, it'll blow out. But he says, no. He says, you guys are a city on a hill. And I want you to understand something else, that this light did not originate with me and it did not originate with you. In Genesis chapter 1, God himself looked into the darkness that was without, was without form and void, and he said, let there be light. And he spoke that same light into my heart, and my eyes were opened, and I saw Jesus, and I was saved. And that light, no demon, no circumstance can put out that light that God has put in my heart. And he says, when we gather together as a church and we glorify God and we stand in the truth and we are the pillar of truth, we are like a city on a hill. I don't know if you've ever been in a plane flying into a big city at night, but you can see that city far off in the distance, right in the middle of darkness. And right now our world is so dark, but he has called the church to shine. And there are people that are going to see it in the middle of that darkness and say, we need to head that way. That's where the runway is. Because light illuminates. It shows us the way. Right now people are looking for a way through this world to figure out how to live and not be depressed and not be tore up and not be filled with anxiety and just to find some kind of peace. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the way. And the church is the one that points them to the way. We are the runway saying, this is the way you should walk in. Let's go in it together. Light illuminates the way. Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. Now I've got way more information than I can get through. So I'm going to skip through a few things here this morning. But I wanted to share something. Because I think and I understand that if we are going to reach the world. We cannot, get this church. We cannot back up off of scripture. There is an attack on God's word like never before. Even to where often the church in some places is compromising and agreeing with the world and saying, well, we don't really have to believe the Bible. As long as you believe in Jesus, everything is okay. Now, if you believe in Jesus, you need to understand that Jesus believed in the Holy Scripture as God's Word. Jesus said the Bible was God's Word. The Bible says the Bible was God's Word. Somebody will say, well, yeah, but Clay, I mean, the Bible, it's, 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 it's outdated and, 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 and it's written by men and not written by God. Well, the scripture says specifically that it is divinely inspired, it is God-breathed, and I want you to understand something about the Bible because people send me messages sometimes, they'll say, well, it's just a fairy tale, and I don't have time to get into all this, but if you want to sit down sometime, holler at me. But let me tell you something about the Bible. It is the most unique piece of literature throughout human history. It was written by hundreds of people over thousands of years in different contexts, in different nations, but it is intricately connected so that they're all saying the same thing together in unison over this different period of time, pointing to the same truth and the same reality throughout. If you put that image up there, it's a crazy looking image. There it is. I want you to look at that. Say, what is that? If you look at the bottom, the white line is basically Genesis to Revelation, this book. 
Genesis to Revelation. And the black lines under it are the verse scriptures. The higher they are, the more those verses are used throughout the Bible. There are 64,000 hyperlinks or references. That means that, there's, that means that Genesis says something that is, that is produced in the book of Matthew. That Exodus says something that they refer to in the book of Revelation. And Revelation says something that's referred to in the book of Malachi. And it's hyperlinked 64,000 times. No other book that exists on planet earth does anything even remotely close to that. Somebody says, but it's inaccurate. Even people who don't know Jesus, literary scholars will say, no, it is the most accurate text that we have of ancient literature, bar none. No other religion is even close. The book that's called, there are 5,600 manuscripts that we get that, that we get our New Testament from, and they say it is at least, I'm not talking about Christian people, I'm talking about literary scholars that say that the Bible is at least 99.5% proven accurate. We barely miss anything, maybe a comma here between a couple of manuscripts. The thing closest to it has 640-some manuscripts, and it's Iliad by Homer. No other religion, not the Quran, not some witchcraft books. This book is the most powerful book that is ever written. And all these men over the course of history are writing about the same thing and his name is Jesus Christ. Prophecy itself in scripture. You say, well, yeah, I don't know about it. It, it probably ain't that true. Well, prophecy in scripture is incredibly compelling because Isaiah detailed 700 years before Jesus' birth that his mother would be a virgin. Micah said that 500 years before his birth he would be born in Bethlehem. The scripture said he would be called Nazarene he would flee into Egypt and he would come into a temple at a specific time and, and, and he came had to come before 70 AD for that to even be fulfilled there are 108 unique prophecies hundreds of years before Jesus was born just about his birth one mathematician said that it would be one in 100 quadrillion for just eight of 108 to be predicted and actually come to pass and they all came to pass just as it was written. And I remember reading Isaiah 52 and 53 and it talking about this man that would come and this man that would die on a cross and he would be whipped for our sins and our transgressions and he would die and he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. And they wrote that hundreds of years and I'm listening to that and it's talking about his resurrection in the Psalms. And when I read that I think to myself this has got to be a book that not just men wrote but God wrote through men as they were moved by the Spirit. And then I said, and if I'm questioning it any longer, here's what I'll say. When I read that book, I've read a lot of books. There ain't no book has done to me what that book has done. One of the greatest ways that you can reach people is somehow to convince them, hey, brother, read the New Testament with an open heart. I'm telling you, when I read the New Testament with an open heart and said, God, I don't know if you're real. I don't know if you're out there. I don't know what you're capable of. I don't even know. I don't know. But I'm reading this New Testament, and I want you to show yourself to me if you will. And as I started turning those pages, he started to transform my life. This book has power. We can never deny Scripture as God's Word. There's some things in it that maybe I would feel better about just following the world's philosophy, but I cannot get away from what Scripture says. The Word of God comes alive to those who will read it with a sincere heart. And see, all of this message is the same message, right? That God so loved the world. Everything is moving toward Jesus, even from the book of Genesis, from the very beginning. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But here's the issue, because it says that He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And in John 3 verse 19 it says, And this is the condemnation, 
that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Notice that. We are the light of the world, but it says the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Number two, light exposes, sadly, right? When you read the Word of God, it exposes what's going on in your heart. And here's what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 8. He says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Notice this. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That means that, listen, we are not to partake in the un unfruitful deeds of darkness in this world. It says that we are to expose them. We are to stand in the truth. We're to live the truth. And that when people come around us, I don't know if it's like this with you, but being a pastor, everybody just thinks I'm standing around judging everybody all the time. You know what I'm talking about? So they're just like, they're scared to do anything. They're scared to say anything because they're afraid that I'm going to be judging them. And trust me, I ain't got time to judge everybody. I leave that up to God. But what I do know is that I'm called to live a life the best that I can that follows Jesus in such a way. Guess what? You can walk into a room with somebody and that light is there. People become aware all of a sudden of what's going on in their heart. It doesn't take much. And if they're wrestling with that truth and you share with them the truth of God's word, that light is going to expose. But I'm going to tell you something. When the light of God hits you, it exposes. I remember when the light of God came into my life, I thought what I was going to encounter was a hate-filled God who was so mad at me. But the same time that all of my sin was exposed, I was covered in nothing but love. When that light exposes, it also pours love in at the same time. And this is what God has called us to do because light shines and we are to shine by going out of our way to seek to do good for others who don't know Jesus. They don't deserve it. They didn't earn it. Matter of fact, they may hate your guts. Love them anyway. Do good to them anyway. And he says that's how your light is going to shine in this world. Matthew 28, he says go, but go is not the main word. He says as you go, disciple people. As you go, disciple people. Now, one of the things about our reach, and I, and I need us to understand this, is because right now the world is doing a lot more reaching than the church is. I don't know if you realize that or not. The world is effectively evangelizing and indoctrinating our children. Josephus said that Jewish people, they made it a point of pride to educate their children. And it was a very systematic process. They would start out at about the age of six in something called the house of the book. And at the age of six, they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. And they would study that at the age of six. Maybe some of y'all, you got some six-year-olds and you're worried about whether or not they should come into worship. Maybe they should just stay over in the gym and play when we worship. Maybe they should stare at their iPad. No, we got to start teaching them to get in the scripture. We've got to take a different mentality than what the world is teaching us that children need at certain ages. Your children at six year old need the word of God. I get it's hard. Like, I don't know how to raise children. Don't look at me. All I'm saying is we need to give it an effort. <laughs> because they knew it was important because we will lose a generation to this world unless we educate our children. And he says at the age of six, 
They would go to the house of book. At, at, at 10 to 14, they would graduate to the house of learning, and they would learn by asking questions. And right now, the world is posing all of these crazy questions for kids. Who am I? What's my identity? What's my orientation? And they're asking all of the wrong questions because the questions are not being made by God's Word. The questions are being made by media and this world system. And we got to bring them back to asking the right questions and tell them who God says they are in Scripture and let them ask these questions so that they can get answers that come from God's Word. And at the age of 10 to 14, if they were still doing well, the rabbi would say, come and follow me and bring them into the house of study. And this is what Jesus did. And I love what Jesus did because, you know, Paul was the only guy that graduated in the New Testament of the writers that graduated and followed a guy, and he followed Gamaliel. At the age of 14, Gamaliel came up to Paul and said, You're a smart kid, follow me. And Paul became a Pharisee. Later on, Jesus said, Hey, Paul, follow me. And he dropped everything. But when Jesus went after guys, they weren't the smartest. They were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were like me and you. And he said, guess what, guys, I'm not looking for the scholars, I'm not looking for the smartest, I'm just looking for real people, and I want you to follow me, because if you will follow me, I will show you my ways, and I will send you back out into the world, and you can demonstrate what it means to follow me and show people this love that I've given this world. And so Jesus... He is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we're not following him, he's calling us to do that now. But for us Christians who are following, he's asking, how can you reach the people around you? How can you reach your family? How can you reach your friend? How can you reach those in your workplace? And this is the call that Jesus is saying. He's calling us to go out into all the world, to extend our arms and reach out to the broken and to the lost. And I get that it's difficult, but we've got a heavy task ahead of us and we are to educate our children here because I don't know about you, I want to raise children that can reach the world. I don't want to raise children that we're worried about whether or not they're going to be lost into the world. I want them to reach the world. So let's bow our heads together. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here this morning that they don't know you, Jesus, but they sense your spirit drawing them, Father, that they would yield to that work in their hearts this morning. God, that they would confess their sin to you. They would ask for forgiveness. And Lord, they would start this journey as they receive your salvation by faith. It's by simple faith. We can't earn it, Lord. But we put our faith and our trust in you, Jesus. And we ask you, Lord, to be the Lord of our lives. We declare you as Lord over our lives. And Lord, for those of us who have already made that commitment, I pray that you would fill us with a fresh fire to be aware of who you're calling us to so that we can reach this world for the glory of your name. Help us, Lord, to be salt. Help us, Lord, to be light in the midst of darkness. And let us go out beyond these walls, Lord God, to minister to those that you put us in contact with because there's so many people, God, that you love so much that have yet to experience that love. And so, Lord God, make us your vessels. Make this church your light and your salt in this world. Lord, we give you the glory for it. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.